Well, each weekend, as we gather, we, we talk about how we're a church family, but every once in a while, we have a weekend like this where that's right in front of us, right? Or right next to us, or maybe crawling all over us. So glad that we have our kids with us today. We're so thankful for them and thankful for a spree and just all that God's done over this past month. It's been an incredible month for our youth and for students and for our kids. So we're so thankful for that. You know, as I considered the continuation of this Life of Faith series we've been walking through, I started to think about how interesting it is that as Jesus was talking with his disciples, at least on a few occasions, when they'd ask him questions, he would point their direction, point their attention to something that I know they didn't expect. On one occasion in Matthew 18, he was fielding some questions that they were asking about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then he did what I know they did not expect. He basically told them to look over at the kids that were near them. And he said this to them in Matthew 18, verse 3, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that interesting? He's talking to his disciples, all of them kind of posturing for position, and he points their attention to kids. This phrase, childlike faith, that we talk about from time to time is not a phrase that occurs in Scripture, but the idea comes from this very passage. In some significant sense, in some unique way, Jesus is saying that there is something that we tend to lose as adults that we need to recover. We need to look at kids and look at what faith is like for them and learn from them. So the question this morning for us as adults, and even as we move through this series this summer on a life of faith, the question is, what does it look like for us to embrace the faith of a child? As we talk about the faith of Abraham this morning, that's the angle that I want to encourage you to kind of view this story through, the faith of Abraham, and see how, how he expressed faith just like a child. So turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to continue right where we left off last week. Kids, here's my commitment to you. If you can hang with me a little bit. Towards the end of the message, I, I have a video for you. I found Lego Abraham. You'll never believe it. All right? I'm going to show you Lego Abraham. So Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. So right here at the beginning of this passage, we just see Abraham's faith on display. It's astounding. God spoke, God called, and Abraham responded, he obeyed simply based on the call of God and on the promises that God made to him. And those promises included things that were very important to people at this time, things like land and inheritance and a family. The story of Abraham in Genesis, of course, covers a number of chapters. So just like last week with Noah, we can only kind of dive into certain parts of it. 
But you probably remember that in Genesis 12, God's covenant with Abraham, his promise with Abraham occurs. This first moment where he steps in and tells Abraham, I am going to walk uniquely with you and do something extraordinary through you and through your descendants. I'm going to read three verses from Genesis 12 for you so we can get a sense of what God said to him and what God's call was that Abraham obeyed. So this is Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, that last phrase right there is just extraordinary, isn't it? An amazing promise that God makes to Abraham. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But we have to acknowledge that in that moment, in Genesis 12, when Abram, as he was called at that time, was given that promise, we have to acknowledge that it wasn't as if the promise was sitting right there ready for the taking. It wasn't that Abraham could look and say, oh yeah, I'd like to grab hold of that. No, he had to cling to God's word. Essentially, he had to be willing to let go of everything for the promise of something better. But the something better was a promise and the nature of a promise is it is yet to come. We all know that worldly kind of proverb that is uttered from time to time, that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. You know that phrase? Essentially, the the meaning of that phrase is you don't risk and you don't give up what you have for that which you're only hoping for. You don't do that. That's unwise. But that's precisely what Abraham did. In faith, he counted on the fact that God would bring about his promises, God would keep his promises, and therefore he could let loose of that which he had. As God calls him, I I, I feel like he made the call and the understanding to Abraham, kind of the the reality of the situation incredibly clear to him because he, he repeated this possessive pronoun in the very first verse of chapter 12. He repeated it a couple times. He said to Abram, I'm calling you to leave your country, to leave your relatives, to leave your father's house. In sum, Abraham, there are things you currently have possession of. They're yours, but I'm asking you to let them go. Leave everything you have, everything you hold dear in this moment on the conviction that I will deliver to you something better. Now in that moment, in that day and age, we have to understand that the things that Abraham already had possession of were prized possessions, right? In that day and age, land, inheritance, family, that was currency. That's what you absolutely had to have in order to have a thriving life. And God's calling him to leave all of it. And I'm always astounded when I consider Abraham taking that first step First step of leaving everything he knows 
leaving the fact that he was known, he was part of a community. And in that day and age, being part of a community was the way that you had security in life. To go out and wander in the middle of nowhere was to open you and your family up to to great danger. Today, we sometimes think of cities as dangerous, but in that day and age, cities were security. You were surrounded by people. There could be city walls. It was safety, and God was saying, you got to leave it. But he didn't stop there. He said, leave your father's house. Now, make no mistake, leaving your father's house was essentially leaving your inheritance. It was leaving your livelihood. It was leaving the guarantee of a wealthy or a secure future. It's a little bit like God was saying, I want you to cash in your 401k way too early. That's the way the inheritance came about. And if all of that wasn't overwhelming enough, and if it doesn't make us just be astounded at Abraham's incredible faith in stepping out, God adds this little detail. Hebrews tells us that Abraham went out, he obeyed, not knowing where he was going. That first step out of the village, out of the family, out of the clan, away from everything he knew was a step into the void. It was a step into the unknown. Doesn't know where he's going. Doesn't know when God will fulfill the promises. Doesn't know any of that. I think we can admit that it is difficult to step away from that which we know. It is even more difficult when we don't know what we're stepping into, right? It's incredibly hard. I've led a number of short-term mission trips here. Maybe some of you have been on those mission trips. And I can just tell you without hesitation that the thing that I could do on one of those trips that would cause the greatest conflict in the team would be to keep everyone in the dark about what we're going to do next. Hey, where will I sit on the plane? You just got to trust me. I'm going to choose your seat. What are we doing tomorrow? Just trust me. What are we going to eat? Where will I sleep? All of that. I mean, there would be a mutiny if I would keep all that from people. So instead, we give them big agendas, right? Here's everything that's gonna happen. We are people who like to know, aren't we? Because knowing allows us to to kind of have some semblance of control. We know what's going to happen. But I wanna remind you again, as we walk through this story, to consider what it means to have the faith of a child. Many of you know that we were missionaries for a number of years. We led a team from, from Lincoln Berean here over to Madrid, Spain. And I'm astounded. My wife, amazingly, I'm astounded by her face. She stepped into that city to live there, sight unseen. Had never been there. Jeff and I were able to go, but Janae just flew in and we're going to our new home. I always joke with my oldest son, Sam, that that he became a missionary just kind of without any say in the matter. It's just like, hey, you're a, you're a missionary now. You're part of the family. And so at nine months old, we took him to Madrid. I asked our team to put a picture up of Sam and Janae in the metro in Madrid. Nine months. You know, Sam had no idea where he was. And as I think on his life and I think about what that was like for him, it helps me understand a little bit of what faith having the faith of a child might look like a little bit. You know, Sam was nine months old. We took him to a place he didn't know. He didn't ask any questions. 
Uh, we, taught, we, we, taught, we carried him country to country. We went all over Europe for different events and different conferences, right? And we carried him all the way through the streets of Spain, streets that he had never seen before with people he didn't know. Sometimes when Janae was in language class, I would take Sam, I'd throw him in a stroller and I'd just walk him around the city, just praying in the neighborhoods and just, just going wherever our heart desired. And you know what? Sam didn't ask a single question. Now, the reason, of course, is because When you are a child, your circumstances are much less important than the people you are with. We could take Sam wherever we wanted to go, and you know what? Sam was always home because he was with mom and dad. Going to a new country, are you going to be there, mom and dad? Because if so, then I am home. Having the faith of a child is to understand that even when circumstances are difficult, we have absolute trust in the one who is with us, the one that is walking with us. And as Abraham set out, he set out grounded in the reality of who God was and is. He did not know the plan, but he knew the planner. And he was confident because the one that he was following is faithful. So he took that first step, left everything based on a call. But his faith didn't end there, did it? No, Abraham would be called to walk by faith his entire life. And as Hebrews 11 continues, we're going to see just that. Hebrews 11, verse 9. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, what's astounding about this is that Abraham and then his son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob, they all were living and dwelling in, wandering essentially in the land that God had promised to them. They are in the land of promise, and yet Hebrews tells us they continued to dwell in tents. No permanent foundation was ever laid. They never got to become kind of kingdom builders, for lack of a better word, right in the land that God promised to them. They had to walk by faith even as they were in the land of promise. The author of Hebrews helps us understand how they did that. Well, it's because their hope was that God was going to give them such, such something, something much better than a piece of dirt they could call their own. No, he had a city prepared for them. He had a better place prepared for them. And they continued to rely upon him to be the one who would fulfill his promises and the one who even when things are dark, even when things seem unknown, even when we're walking around, they were able to live convicted of the unseen, just as Hebrews 11 and 1 tells us that's what faith is. Hebrews 11 1, faith, the assurance of things hoped for. Abraham was assured of things hoped for. The conviction of things unseen, Abraham was convicted, was convinced, knew there was evidence that eventually the unseen things would be real to him because he trusted God. So he walked with God, trusting him for a home, trusting him for an inheritance, but he also had to trust God for a family, didn't he? That was part of that original covenant promise in Genesis 12, that I will make you a great nation, but that promise came 
when Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old. They had no children. So they hear God say that and they have to trust that somehow because of God's creative power, because of who he is, he can bring about the fulfillment of that promise because certainly there's no way they could have brought that about on their own. So Abraham and Sarah, by faith, had to continue to walk, continue to cling to God for a home, yes, for an inheritance, yes, but yes, also even for a family. Hebrews 11, 11 tells us about Sarah's faith. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. Now, there are a number of interesting hobbies in the world. And I found on the internet, apparently some person who has the hobby of taking Legos and telling biblical stories with Legos. So kids... This is what it would look like if Abraham were a Lego and God came and made this promise to him. Let's watch it together. Abraham, don't be afraid of anything. I will protect you and I will be your greatest reward. Lord, you have promised to make me into a great nation, but a great nation requires people, and you have not given me even one child. Look at the sky and see if you can count the stars. You can't, can you? That is how it will be with your descendants, and I will surely give you this land as well. There will be hard times. Your descendants will be taken as slaves in a foreign land for more than 400 years. But I myself will bring them back to this land I have promised, and they will live together in this place. Abram, I am God Almighty. Walk with me, love me, obey me, and live a blameless life. I am making a covenant with you, by which I am guaranteeing you that I will multiply you and fill the earth with your descendants. I am changing your name to Abraham, because you will be the father of many nations. And this is my promise to you and to your descendants after you. I will be your God, and I will be their God forever. I will give this land to you and to your family after you, and in this place they will be my people, and I myself will live among them. And as for your wife, Sarah, she is going to give birth to a baby boy. <laughs> I, I am nearly 100 years old, and my wife is 90. A baby? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
baby. Sarah will have a son about this time next year. And you will call him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and with his descendants. <laughs> That's exactly what it was like. No, just kidding. But it is faithful to the story. If you want to see more of that, kid, it's on Right Now Media. It's all these stories. It's incredible. From the original covenant promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 until this moment when God reminded him of the promise and predicted the birth of Isaac, 25 years had passed. 25 years of trusting God, of clinging in faith to the fact that God would fulfill his promise. And by faith, Abraham and Sarah did have a child. And God brought that about in a way that only he could because surely they could not do that on their own. Abraham, as he just said, was 100 and Sarah was 90, well beyond the years that that should be able to happen. But God did it. God is the God of the impossible. And Abraham and Sarah walked by faith and clung to him. And in due time, he fulfilled the promise. Childless Abraham, childless Sarah, clinging to God for a son, waiting and waiting 25 years. And eventually God gave them a son and that son would eventually grow into a nation, the nation of Israel. And we know that Isaac was the father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of Judah. And in time, as we go on and on, the descendant of Abraham, Jesus, is born by the will of God through his servant Mary. And God fulfilled his very promise to bless every nation, every family on the earth through the birth of the seed of Abraham. Abraham waited 25 years. The world waited thousands of years. But God is true and he keeps his promises. And clinging by faith to him means that we continue to trust his character even when things seem dark even when we don't know the very plan. As the author of Hebrews continues, he moves in these last four verses into a bit of a reflection on Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and even Jacob's faith and some of the commonalities among them. And of course, one of the commonalities is that they all had to live by faith, just as we all have to live by faith. But another thing that was unique about them as we think about their story is like un, unlike Noah who was told there's going to be a flood and then saw the flood, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, well, the author tells us that they never saw the fullness of the fulfillment of the promises of God. They had to continue to cling to that in faith and, and trust that God would bring that about for their very descendants. Listen to verse 13 to 16. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcoming them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I love that phrase. As it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. To live a life of faith is to keep our focus, our eyes, on the promise of that better country and on the God who alone can bring it about. It's to return again and again, even in the midst of wandering paths, even in the midst of of the wilderness that we find ourselves in, to the fact that God is a promise keeper and he will eventually bring us into a better country and our hope is there. It is not in this world. And so to walk the life of faith is to continue to bring God to the center to bring God to the center of our focus. And we ask ourselves questions as we walk through life. We say, who's gonna take care of me? And the answer is, God is gonna take care of me. Where should I place my hope? God is my hope. How will I be successful? God is the one who defines success. What happens when everything's going wrong? I trust that God will bring about a good end. He's the one who can bring about the better country. Where will I find a home? God will provide our home. Where is my home? My home is with him. My home is with him. He is the one that calls me into a better country. My hope is elsewhere. As we walk through life, we walk through circumstances that go up and down and each week is different and we encounter new trials. It seems that that the human tendency is to start to get so focused on the singular moment of pain that we're walking through that we lose sight of the fact that God is bringing something about and he will in the end fulfill his promises. And the, the call of life as a person of faith is to continue each morning to come back to say, I am going to trust God today. He is calling me to live in a better country with him and I can do that now and I know that there will be a day where he will fulfill it completely. My hope is in him. You know what's so great about kids? See, until they reach a certain age, they're they're incapable of faking it. They're incapable of hiding, aren't they? You wanna know what they think or what they're feeling? They're just gonna tell you, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I don't like that, I don't wanna eat that. I'm getting restless. They just tell you. But something troubling actually starts to occur as we get older as we start to kind of hide and pretend a lot as adults and when we're struggling with feeling confident in our faith we pretend that we're feeling confident in our faith and we say oh it's fine faith is easy the walk of faith is just continuous joy and the truth is walking by faith is hard sometimes And we want to be a church, we want to be a people, a community that doesn't pretend, that is able to say, you know what, it is hard. We're able to be honest about that and then be supported by others around us who say, it is hard, but keep it up, God is faithful. We want to be people who can be honest. And when we start to really deal honestly with how we're feeling, I think what we will find is so often when faith seems difficult, what it comes down to is we are deep down, we are struggling to believe that God is able and that he cares for us and that he loves us. That's what's deep down at the ground level 
of struggling in moments to have faith in him. So the next question is, what do we do when we are honest about that? It's great to be honest, but what do we do with that? And I think the next thing that we do as human beings is we, we start to think, okay, I'm just going to try really hard, and I'm going to treat belief or faith as if it's a muscle, and I'm going to say, I need to believe harder today. I'm just going to flex my faith muscle. That's not how faith works. Now, if we think about what it means to have the faith of a child, ultimately what the child clings to is that they trust the person they are with. And we, as people of faith, when we are struggling in faith, one of the first steps we have to take is we have to go back to the person that we are following. Go back to our God, consider his character, consider his promises, consider his faithfulness over time, become more and more acquainted with him knowing that we are always with him. And because we are with him, our circumstances might be good, they might be bad, but we are safe because we are with him. We seek him in word, we seek him in worship, we seek him in prayer. And as we seek him, we find him and we know that because he is with us and because he promises to never leave us, to never forsake us, it will be okay called to live a life of faith. And part of living a life of faith means that we will grow in faith. We will, we will increase in faith. We're people who a few weeks ago, we said, we want to be people who say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And as we grow in faith, you know what we will find? Well, we'll find that our, our mind is all the more quick to turn to God. Our eyes are all the more quick to look for his hand moving in our circumstances. Our Our very hearts are all the more quick to abandon our circumstances to him and to trust him with greater and greater completeness. And just know that as we walk through life, things can go good, things can go poorly, but God is sure and he is true and we can trust him. And as we do that, church, as we cling to him, as we seek him, just like a child, we will find him. And we will find that he is faithful and that he is a keeper of promises and that he loves us and he will never forsake us. And therefore, no matter what we're walking through, we can keep our eyes on him. He is the one that calls us into a better country. And he alone is the one who can take us there. And because we are with him, we are always home. Will you join me as we pray? Our Father, we do thank you that you have called us to yourself through your Son. Because of him and because of the work on the cross and our faith in him, we will never be separated from you. You promise us there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. And so we praise you for that. And Lord, we want to be people who walk by faith who trust you when when things are difficult, who just lean on the rock-solid nature of your character. And so we pray that you will fortify, strengthen, build up our confidence in you, that we might walk confidently, that we might walk by faith knowing that you are sure and that you are with us and therefore we are never alone. We thank you for your grace to us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.